Oh, good morning. That was a serious wind-up. <laughs> Build-up, rather, maybe. Maybe, maybe I should week. just wind up. <laughs> Blast the back walls off. <laughs> no, seriously, I do, I do want to bring a word that I, I feel God has given me for a number of our, ch- for our movement, really. And uh, I've shared it in a few churches now. And uh, I felt to share it here as well. Uh, as I've moved around our congregations because there's no doubt that this is a very challenging time at many levels for the church. A very difficult time. Uh, But at the same time, I think it's one of the most exciting times because it's uh, a time where there's a lot of uh, societal pressure against us. There's been a lot of forces that have caused the church to examine itself and look very seriously at what it believes and why it believes it doesn't have the opportunity anymore to just bring cultural clout because of history. Uh, that history is no, more, no longer there. But what it does do is position the message of Jesus more pertinently, more relevantly, more as a sharpened edge to our culture than ever before. And it's a mindset change that you and I need to go through that takes us from uh, really just feeling like we're the ones who are the, uh, the, the cultural... Uh, uh, conscience to one where we actually have to start changing things to the point where we uh, are missionaries to our culture, right. where we start to actually change the way we think and we realise uh, there's a whole new way of approaching uh, the life of the church in contemporary culture. Um, there are powerful voices at work and uh, I want to talk about two of them this morning. Uh, one I would describe as the fear of man and the other is the fear of the Lord. One is that which causes us to be intimidated and causes us to shrink back and that which would embolden and encourage us. And as I start off this morning, I just felt I wanted to give you guys a word as a church and I've asked David to write some of these things down and, uh, and I want to give some words as I go along maybe to some of you here as well uh, just to encourage you and to build you up in your own personal walk. Um, but many of the comments that I share, if you feel like I give a word to someone and you think, wow, why didn't he give that to me? That was just so important for me. Well, then grab it off the person that I've given it to and say, I'm going to take that on board as well because it's God's word. And, uh, you know, I'm just so conscious that, you know, also I'm not infallible. If you feel it's, I've missed the boat completely, that's fair enough. I'll just step out in faith and, uh, you know, uh, and maybe it was for somebody else and uh, that person might still grab hold of it. But for you as a church, David, I just... And where's Jess, the one who was singing in the middle of the... There she is. Jess, as I share these words for the church, I felt as you were singing this morning that there's a words for you as well. All right, excuse me for putting my hand up like this, but I can see you, I can see you a bit better. So, um, you know, uh, the picture I have for your church was of Aaron's, bud, Aaron's rod budding. Do you remember the story? There was all the, the kerfuffle that was going on, the people of Israel, and each tribe had to bring a, 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 a rod, uh, a staff, and, uh, and uh, the one that was, the one that would, that there was be a sign that would show which was going to be the anointed tribe. And uh, this particular uh, bud of, uh, rod, let me say, the staff of Aaron budded and actually produced blossom and almonds. And uh, it was amazing. And it showed that the hand of God was to be upon Aaron. And I felt that for you, church. Uh, Not that you're specifically special amongst everybody else, but there are things that are about to break loose and bud open. Uh, You know, like the the buds are there. There's signs that things are underway. But I feel like there's much more for you as a congregation and a church than what you've allowed yourselves to realise and accept. 
There, there, there has to be. Why? Because for a start, there's a lot of empty seats here that God's given you to fill. But there's tens of thousands of people in this community who need the message of Jesus. So let's not just sit back and think, oh, we're a nice, comfortable, good church. When there's still a huge mission ahead. And so, you know, I just encourage you uh, that there are things about to bud uh, and, and they will open. The other image that I had in my mind was, was of, my, of my grandchild recently who came up to me with some, with, with some buds and started to try to open the, the flower up for me so I could see it. Really wanted to accelerate the process. There's things that take time. There are things that just in the course of time will open up and bloom. And I just want to say to you, there are, there are larger hands than yours that are guiding your destiny. Amen. God's in control. And there are things that happen in the course of time. And you need to position yourselves in readiness to see those things break open and, uh, over, over yourselves as a church. And, and I'd say that to you, Jess, too. There are things that have maybe you felt have been you know, maybe tight and you're wanting so much for some things to open up. And God would say, look, in the fullness of time, they're going to happen. Here's some verses uh, in Isaiah 22, 22 to 23. It talks there about the keys to the house of David. And it says, what you open, no one can shut. And what you shut, no one can open. There's an authority over this church. You mentioned a bit about it in the context of overcoming before, uh, David. But it says, like a peg driven into a firm place. God, I want to believe that for you, church. Now this place is, is, you know, you're coming up to 20 years. That's fantastic. And uh, to you, David, and all the team that was here before, uh, you know, all credit to you for what you've established over 20 years. You're a great church. But, you know, there's so much more ahead. So much more that God would want to reproduce out of you. Let's believe for, for more. Uh, here's some other verses that I wrote down that as I was reflecting. Isaiah, again from Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. And I had that sense that this church will be a church that will bring justice into a lot of situations and circumstances of injustice. Amen. Psalm 2 and verse 3, it says, Break the chains and throw off the shackles. And I want to believe that for you. There are cultural shackles and there's things that we do in our uh, in, our, in our mindsets as a church that we just settle in. And God would want to shake some of those things even here this morning. Um, it goes on to say uh, uh, that, that the one enthroned in heaven actually laughs. You know, God, is in, God has got a great positive view of the future of your life and of this church and of your life, Jess, particularly. And, uh, you know, just allow that to bud forth. Exodus 25:34 is the reference to the buds uh, to, no sorry numbers 17:8 is the reference to the budding of Aaron's bud but in Exodus 25:34 also talks about on the on the very um, uh, ark of the covenant there was it was it was covered with buds as a sign of the presence of God would always bring forth a bursting forth into the newness of life I'm going to pray for you as a church can I can I do that let's pray together father in Jesus name Lord, I pray fresh release over this congregation into arenas that they've not yet seen. I pray, Lord, for the capacity of this church to break loose in its, uh, in its atmosphere, to embrace even more of what you have for them. And Lord, I pray for that spirit of justice to rise up.
for them to be able to be ones who speak against uh, some of the things that are, are just happening in culture and for them to run counter that culture in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray even this morning for an emboldened spirit that will allow that to happen in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk this morning about releasing a prophetic voice over your life and church as you start to live by the opposite spirit to the spirit that's in this world. And as I mentioned to you before, there are two spirits at work, the spirit of man and the spirit of, uh, of the Lord. And I want to talk about them a bit this morning. But there's a slippery slope that we can very quickly go on. And it's there all the time. And, you know, it's, it's, I've, I've, I've given the picture there of it. Of the standard of God is here and the standard of the world is here. And we feel rather comfortable and satisfied with ourselves that we're not where the world's at. In fact, we're a lot better than them. Okay, And, and we think that that sets the mark. Uh, but then the world drops its standard. And what does the church do? It creeps down with it. And we still feel good because we're better than the world is. You know, but, the, but the reality is we're where the world was 10, 10 years ago. 20 years ago. And before you know it, what I've entitled here on the slide, a law of spiritual entropy starts to occur. Uh, Entropy is that physical law that says energy is lost from systems. You know, you boil a kettle, it doesn't stay hot. It actually, you have to put energy in for it to heat up. And if you turn the energy off, it will gradually cool down. And so it is true in the moral fabric and the spiritual fabric of culture. If there's not energy put in, If there's not the presence and power of God that's being released into a culture, the human condition gradually winds down. You know, we have very much a philosophy in our world today that says man of himself will become better. But actually, history shows us the opposite is at work. And the Bible declares that, that man is actually intrinsically evil. And unless there is an energy put in by the presence and power of God, we can never be restored to our, side, our true state. And the, the wonder of the gospel is that when the presence and power of God does come into you, you reverse this trend. And you know what we are part of and what we can see and testimonies of it, probably in this church as well, is of lives that have run, are now running counter to the culture they were in before. But it's also very true that there can be in church like this those who start to just flow with culture. And before you realise it, we're actually just speaking the mouthing the words of the gospel, but internally there's something very different that's happening. So there's a challenge here this morning about us listening to the right voice and responding with the opposite spirit. I said there is the temptation to reduce and redefine God in a way that is, inaccess- that is accessible and reduce him to a safe place on our terms. When I read that, I thought, that's it. We shrink God to a God that's comfortable to us. And what I'm talking about this morning, we'd want to challenge you to, is a God that actually is God. And we need to allow him to be God in our midst. And we need to do the changing and not try to change him. That's right. The fear of the Lord... Or the fear of man? Two great voices. The fear of the Lord uh, brings integrity, brings justice, brings, uh, flows out of that life of sacrifice, is uh, about others rather than about me. Whereas the, the fear of man and the voice of man uh, sows to self 
is a, is a, is a spirit that brings, in, uh, brings uh, intimidation to those around about it. It causes conformity. It's all the atmosphere that we live in now of political correctness and trying to cause us to think the same way. And it's the fear of man that grips us in the midst of all this. Uh, When you look at uh, this verse here, Proverbs uh, 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. There's a snare around in our world. And if you live under the fear of man, it will grab a hold of all of us. There's an opposite spirit, though, and it's the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 33, 6, it says, And he will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. For the fear of the Lord is the key to the treasure. I read a couple of quotes in the last... Uh, Recently, that really challenged me, and I just want to highlight them to you. The first one is from A.W. Tozer, as he talks about the fear of the man, the fear of the Lord. Uh, Tozer was a great uh, Christian leader of a, of a century or more ago. The desire to please may be commendable enough under certain circumstances, but when pleasing men means displeasing God, it is an unqualified evil and should have no place in the Christian's heart. To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. This was a word from Spurgeon, again, from a century or so ago. Great preacher, the word. You and I cannot be useful if we want to be sweet as honey in the mouths of men. God will never bless us if we wish to please men, that they may think well of us. Are you willing to tell them what will break your own heart in the telling and break theirs in the hearing? If not, you are not fit to serve the Lord. You must be willing to go and speak for God, though you will be rejected. When I read that, I thought that really hit me because I'm, I'm basically a person who likes to be liked by people. You know, I don't set out to create enemies. In fact, there's an opposite sense in me. I want to just live at peace with everybody. I'm an encourager of, by nature, and I don't want to create uh, uh, that sense of, of reaction in people. So the, there's a great temptation for me to back off. But as I read that, you know, Spurgeon was saying there, uh, you're not fit to serve the Lord if you're just going to give in to that sense of being accepted by people. Here's some words from Martin Lloyd-Jones, which the first two quotes weren't strong enough. Listen to this one. That is the only way to understand rightly this picture of false prophets, he says. The false prophet is a man who has no straight gate or narrow way in his gospel. He, is nothing which is, he has nothing which is offensive to the natural man. He pleases all. He is in sheep's clothing, so attractive, so pleasant, so nice to look at. He is such a nice and comfortable and comforting message. He pleases everybody and everybody speaks well of him. He is never persecuted for his preaching. He's never criticised severely. Wow, I read that and I thought, I know what sort of gospel we preach. Is it one that just gains the, the, the acceptance of everybody? And there was a big pressure on, I think, in the, in the church in the, across the last uh, 10, 20 years to be seeker friendly. And, in, and for all the positives of that, 
But one of the things that tended to happen is that people in the law of entropy started to shift, I think, the sense of what was correct and what was right. And under the fear of man, tended to back off and didn't really heed the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is a thing that's mentioned well over 300 times in Scripture, but we don't talk about it very much. The fear of the Lord is often perceived as something that you live in fear of God. It's actually about the awe of God. It flows out of worship. flows out of the sense of the wonder and the majesty of who he is. And God, I'd much rather please you than please the men around about me because I've caught a picture of who you are and the wonder of what you can do. And what could God do and would want to do with this particular local church? The fear of the Lord is the key to the treasure. And I want you to remember that. Here's some other verses that talk about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all who follow its precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Those who fear the Lord are secure and his children will have refuge. Better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. I remember years ago I had the opportunity to go into the Czech Republic and speak there at a conference of leaders and it was one of the first Christian conferences that had ever been held in the Czech Republic after the fall of communism. It was in the, in the mid-90s and uh, you know, I got there and there was only a small number of evangelical Christians in the whole nation. But they had stood against the pressure of a regime that had tried to conform them and where political correctness had become the voice of the state, and where there was such a a pressure upon them to just conform that most churches in the Czech Republic had closed completely and were now just museums. And yet here was this enclave of people who lived with the fear of the Lord as their refuge and their source of strength. They inspired me enormously and made me realise how... how, uh, Revolutionary really was their lifestyle as opposed to that which we can so easily accept when our culture allows us to just go on and do church. I, I was watching the movie Dunkirk the other, day, the other week and uh, some of you saw it, it's just been out and you know, it's an amazing story and they call it the miracle of Dunkirk. Unfortunately, the movie doesn't really show the miracle side of it. You know, when uh, that great salvation of all those people came with all the boats that came across from England there in 1940, um, and they saved, they say, well over 300, maybe up to 400,000 men. It was an amazing miracle that led to that. Um, on the Sunday before the Wednesday when the great exodus happened, um, the great movement of people happened, on that Sunday, there was a national day of prayer. And they say people lined up, queued up, waiting to get into the uh, cathedrals and the churches of England to pray and to intercede. And something happened as the fear of the Lord grabbed hold of a nation. Miracles started to happen. For some unknown reason, Hitler stopped his advance uh, early that week. <laughs> he had the Allied forces pinned down in Dunkirk from all directions. Uh, the, the French and the Dutch forces, Belgian forces, and of course the English and other allied forces, all there on this beachhead. And suddenly there was dead calm for two days, uh, for, for the day that it, when the ships came. Yet the two days before had been full of, had been stormy as. The, on the days before, 
uh, there had been thick fog and clouds, so the Luftwaffe couldn't get up and bomb the area. All these coincidences that started to line up because a bunch of a nation lived in the fear of the Lord. Uh, don't underestimate what prayer can do and what can happen as you start to set your sights upon a God who cares for you because it's the key to the treasure. You read a story like the golden calf and you see there the very opposite spirit that's at work in Exodus 32. Moses is up on the mountain trying to uh, get in the, the Ten Commandments, the most spiritual, intense moment. And yet down in the plains, the people have got another spirit going on because the fear of man had overtaken them. And when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. And Aaron succumbed to that spirit of man. And when eventually Moses comes down, Aaron says to him, what did these people, he says, what did these people do to you that you made them... uh, led them into such great sin. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to do evil. What a wimpy leader. Blames the people for his lack of ability to give leadership and stay the course. What that really shows is how quickly and how fickle the human heart is. And, you know, we live in times where there are voices around us that have been trying to keep us quiet a lot. Uh, The recent... A plebiscite vote brought that all to the fore at lots of different fronts. Regardless of how you voted, there were great, there were great pressures of conformity that were at work. Uh, from both Christian and non-Christian points of view. Uh, what I'm challenging us to this morning is that we have the opportunity to actually run ahead of culture. I've lost... I've lost what I've... I'm not having anything on the screen here. Can you help, Dave? Sorry. That's okay. Now, if, I'll just keep going. We have the opportunity, as I said, to run ahead of culture and uh, to bring the upswing of society, to be part of the upswing of society that is, makes us the head and not the tail. I want to believe that for you in the sense of that prophetic word that I gave just before. Uh, here's a... Uh, the spiral downwards that man gets into, but there's a God factor. What's God's purpose? Is to actually pull us out of that spiral and to elevate us and to give us a sense of where he would want to take us. And we need to, in that context, to develop a mission, first world mindset, where we start to not spiral downwards, but start to spiral upwards. God knows what's best for society. And as I say up there, it's the spiritual that comes first. Uh, it's not the spiritual that comes first, but the natural and then the spiritual. And there are many things that are happening in our world that are not a product of God not being there. God, God is there, but he allows things to happen so that it brings to the fore those things that would purge and cleanse the church and bring it back on track. Now, I find myself with our own congregation very much examining why and how and what we believe and why we're doing things the way we do so that we can uh, more accurately present who Jesus is, even if that means and often does mean running counter to our culture. And we therefore need to develop a mission first world mindset 
And that affects the way we react and the way we respond and the way we make our decisions. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says, now come out and be separate out of reverence to the Lord. When I was at university uh, many years ago, uh, it was a period where there was, uh, the Jesus revolution was really beginning. And whilst there were a lot of other revolutionary voices around, there was also a great move of God amongst universities and you know, across the society. And a lot of young people got swept up, as did I, in what was the Jesus revolution. And a time where I came to my own personal convictions of faith were shaped very much by this revolutionary period. And I'm very thankful for that. One of the, one of the guys who influenced me a lot in that was, uh, I think I've got his picture up here now. No, oh, sorry, I'm going back. I flicked the page too quick. I've got to show you this. Because this, this cartoon sort of spoke to me of what I see happening about us. Oh, it's back. And here's Noah's Ark with all the promises of you know, salvation of a people that in the midst of a culture that had gone completely wayward. In the background there's another boat and it comes up next to the, next to, uh, the ark and says, Welcome aboard, not a moment too soon by the look of that old tub. And then the third picture in the cartoon was this one <laughs> as it sailed off into the distance. You know, it speaks very much of a culture that's put its hopes in what man can achieve and do and has forsaken and left behind the promises of God and the salvation that he wrought. It doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem like it's, it, it's right. But it's nonetheless the truth that we proclaim here today. Let me move on a bit further. This is the guy I, was, I thought I was going to be putting up before. <laughs> Os Guinness, who wrote a book called The Dust of Death that was part of my own coming to faith and understanding that there was a very strong and rational basis to what I believed. But he was a, he was a Christian apologist and he still continues to speak in universities and campuses around the world. And he wrote a book at that time, which I've put up here as well, called The Grave Digger File. Then have you read it? It's about a bunch of, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's very similar to C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. It's about a bunch of demons that get trained to subvert the church. And he talks here about three great forces. And remember, this is being written in the, early, in the mid-70s. Three great forces that were to be unleashed upon culture, Western society, by demonic forces to subvert particularly the influence of the church. He talked firstly about the loss of certainty. Secondly, the loss of comprehensiveness. And thirdly, the loss of compelling power. Uh, He saw very much that uh, society was under the influence of two strong forces, the force of God and that which God planned for redemption through groups like this, the church, and also the influence of demonic forces that would try to subvert and pull people away and make God their own and make God of themselves. I want to just talk about this with you because I believe these are three things that I want you to be challenged to this morning, again, in your own heart and your own convictions and as a church. Firstly, the reclaiming of certainty. Now, I, just, I wanted to just give a word to, to somebody else. This guy sitting up here, 
with, no, no, just behind. Yeah, with the glasses on. I don't know your name, but Matthew. I just saw a picture of, of, of like a light switch that was going on and off. Uh, and then the, then the words came in out. And then it came up and down. And it was this sense of shifting ground, shifting positions. And I feel like God wants uh, some things to turn on in you and for there to come a, a clarity to you, for you, in that way that he wants to take you forward. And I'll give you some verses here. Joel 3, 14, it talks about being caught in indecision. But that there are lots of people who are in that. And, you know, we all know the, how often sometimes it's difficult to make decisions. I don't know whether you're in the midst of decision-making right now. But I feel like God wants to, wants to encourage you that he can show you what is on and what should be off. Okay? And, and linked to that, in James 1.8, it talks about being double-minded. It will cause great instability for you, but it, there comes a clarity from the hand of God, a certainty. That's why I'm sharing this right now. Because certainty needs to be re- restored in, in the sense of what the future holds for you. And that maybe there will be some things that you're not sure about, but God wants to bring great certainty to you. Does that connect with you? Uh, here's some other verses. Isaiah 26, verse 7. The path of the righteous is to be made level and smooth. That's great promise for you. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will shine righteousness upon you and vindicate your cause. And finally, James 5, 12. All you need say is a simple yes or no. You know, so it's that sense of decision and certainty that God would want to bring. Does that connect with you at all? Wow, that's good. Let's pray for you. Father, in my, in my brother's life, I pray that there would come just greater certainty about what the pathway forward is. Lord, we're all, a life is full of decisions and we all face decisions. There may be many others here this morning that are being caught in indecision. But Lord, I pray that there would come, Lord, that clarity and certainty that is built upon who you are. And I pray that in Jesus' name for my brother and for others here this morning that may perceive that as well. Thank you, Lord. David's written these verses out. You can grab them off him afterwards. Uh, Joel chapter 3, verse 14. Certainty. In an age of plurality, the singularity of the message of Jesus is there for us. You know, there are so many, so many people would say, there's lots of paths up the mountain. The view from the top is still the same. That's the bottom line culture that we live in. If you say Jesus is the truth, the only way, then uh, we're we're challenged to question that all the time. Now there is truth in lots of different things, in lots of different uh, religions and faiths and ways of living. But they only take you a certain way up the mountain. There is only one that takes us to the pinnacle. And that's the person of Jesus. And he said that. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now, you know, that needs to be something that's very certain in the message that we bring. That the gospel is not just something that's one of many paths. But actually we have been entrusted with something that is the unique revelation of God to humanity on how to be redeemed and restored to all that God's plan is for their lives. And to be certain about that, 
You know, and I just, uh, I just see around me and I know how easy it is to be just become intimidated by the voices that are clamouring loud and for you no longer to feel that you can speak with certainty about anything. And yet the reality is the truth defends itself. And for you to grow in the confidence that the truth will be the truth and that what God has declared is the truth. And you can be certain about that. And 1 Corinthians 1, 23, it says, So when we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, they're offended by it. And the Gentiles say, it's all nonsense. So what we, what we face is not something new. The, culture, the gospel has always run counterculture. It's always come with, a, with voices that would say, this can't be the way. There must be broader roads. There must be better ways. But the gospel that you and I preach is a gospel of certainty. And Acts 4.12, it goes on to, it says, There is no other name by which one can be saved. No other name. One of the most amazing things of the last couple of decades has been the view of, of eternity, of the heavens that we're seeing with the Hubble telescope. This is one, uh, one of the photos taken. And the, the thing with the Hubble telescope is that it's allowing us to see things into dimensions that we've never seen before. And, you know, one of the most amazing stats that I read just recently, and you can Google this if you don't believe me, but it said that, you know, the number of stars they're estimating in the heavens is more than the grains of sand on the seashore. And you just go, what the? It just, it just, it is so intimidating to think about that and the finiteness and smallness of man. You know, and yet there's this, it's almost like they say in quantum theory, they're saying that the universe is continually expanding still. It's like God spoke the word and it's never stopped. It's like this, the power of God to create is immense and enormous. And we can be certain of this God. <laughs> certain of something that takes us out of the finiteness and the smallness of our own thinking into the infinite certainty of who God is and what his word has declared. And so, in context, <laughs> Abram received that word. That his descendants would be as numerous as the stars and countless as the sand on the seashore. And the two metaphors were brought together and are now have even greater poignancy by what we see. The grass withers and the flowers fade, Isaiah said, but the word of God, it stands forever. Can I just encourage you as a church to really stand on the word of God, to not doubt it, to be certain about your convictions and what they're based in. Second thing he talked about was reclaiming comprehensiveness. And the gospel has been shrunk down by so many to just be in this safe zone, you know, where you Christians, you can speak your gospel and do your thing as long as within your subculture, but don't try to bring ramifications, don't let its ramifications be carried out across society. I read a book recently by a guy called Vishal Manglawadi. Have any of you read the book? And it's called The Book That Made uh, Your World. 
And I had the opportunity to chair some meetings with him uh, a year or so ago. And, and uh, amazing uh, Indian philosopher, Christian thinker. But he's written this amazing book which just traces the way the Bible has actually impacted the broad spectrum of life. He talks about law. He talks about uh, you know, health. He talks about all sorts of different arenas that you never think the gospel's actually in, infiltrated and brought influence to. And yet there it all is. The comprehensive nature of the gospel. I love reading about the early reformers and the way that they were you know, enlightened in so many areas. You know, Luther was a, was a linguist as well as, a, as an amazing uh, theologian. Uh, Wesley wrote almanacs on, on medicine as well as, uh, as doing things on, on language and doing all that he did as a, as a Christian writer and reformer. They had a breadth of thinking that was amazing because they believed, fundamentally believed, the gospel is the source of everything. And the gospel was to affect every facet of life and had a relevancy to every level of life. And yet we live in a world that's increasingly being marginalised, where the church is pushed to the, to the boundaries, to the limits, to the side. You know, we need to remember, that we, and to reverse the cringe, because we need to remember that 61.1% of Australians still say they're Christians. They may not believe like we do, and certainly the latest survey suggests that those with no religion is growing. At the moment it's about 31.6%. But there's still a lot of people who would pay at least lip service to the Christian church. And it's why, probably one of the reasons why, Christian education is actually growing so rapidly. And why they can't keep up with the growth in many of the, uh, of the Christian schools is because people want the values, want the comprehensive nature of what is provided and see the, the loss of that in so much of the state systems. And, you know, <laughs> the gospel is comprehensive. It affects every level of life. Here's something I read just recently too that was amazing. You know, there are 13,000 churches in Australia and about 9,500 schools. There's many more churches like this operating today than there are schools in this nation. And yet we place so much of our hope in education where if the church would rise up in what it is, it still is an incredible infrastructure and network of influence. 3.5 people attend church, they estimate, across a typical month. But that's more than the population, actually, of South Australia, Tasmania, Northern Territory, ACT combined. We're not a small voice. Here's another stat. Whilst on any month during winter, there are only 1.5 million people attending all the football code matches put together. Soccer, rugby, Australian rules. Add them all up across a month, 1.5 million people. As opposed to 3.5 million in church. What's the point? The point is we don't have to, we shouldn't be cringeworthy. We should start to stand up and say, yeah, we can claim this nation for Jesus and reclaim our heritage. Not based upon what we were in the past, but upon what we're going to become in the future. The last point, he said, and just before I do that, let me just give another word to someone. Is it up the back there? Is it, is it Josh? I, I, I found out what your name was. I don't know your name. 
You know, again, I, the word that I felt, and I, I, I don't know if this is true, and I'm going out on a bit of a limb, but you know, don't be, don't be intimidated by forces that are around you. Don't be intimidated or bullied by uh, others' opinions. Uh, the Lord will vindicate your course. And for you to find an inner strength that comes because you know that the gospel you preach is both certain and comprehensive in its nature. And whilst there might be a temptation sometimes to just shrink back and be nice in the context of what I said before, just realise God will defend your cause and stand behind you. Psalm 7, eight says, Vindicate me, God. Uh, According to my integrity, and I sense that over your life, yeah. great integrity, yeah. and that God would vindicate you because of that. John 8.32, you will know the truth and it will set you free. And John 8.36 goes on to say, if the sun sets you free, you're actually free indeed. You know those verses probably very well. But there's a freedom that God wants to bring you into. A freedom of a surety that of what you believe and stand in. Nehemiah 6.19 uh, the whole chapter is about a character called Tobiah who just comes and yaps away at Nehemiah and wants to undermine him and white-hand him. And maybe there have been some voices around you that have been having same effect who would want to pull you down. And Nehemiah stands up uh, through, that, through that all and says, no, and he pushes back on Tobiah's influence. And God says it's not actually happening like you think it's happening. You're just making it up in your head. Because there was a mind game going on here that was affecting Nehemiah and his capacity to lead. You can read through that chapter yourself. Proverbs 4.24, keep free, uh, keep free from all the forces that would pull you down and from those things that would come out of your lips that might, you might be re- feel regretful. Instead, allow the voice of God to speak out through you. Um, be careful how much you do speak. In that context as well. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, the prudent hold their tongue. And it's, uh, you know, I feel like God wants to give you the wisdom both when to speak and when not to speak. Does that connect with you at all? Wow. So, Lord, I pray for Josh right now. We reach our hands out towards him. Because, Lord, there's a, a comprehensiveness to your gospel that you would want to bring him into, where he can become someone who speaks into situations where he may feel insecure, where there may have been forces of intimidation at work. But thank you, Lord, that you're at work in him and you're going to lead him forward. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, the the, the bottom line is we have the answers to the real ongoing dilemmas of the human heart. You know, at every level, as I, as I move on in my, in my walk with God and as a pastor, I'm so grateful of the hundreds of different people I could speak to who, where God has transformed their lives, in their marriages, in their business environments, in their sense of restoration of relationships, in, in bringing their, their families back together, of coming out of addictions, of coming out of all sorts of problems. Yeah, Jesus is the answer. There's a comprehensive nature to the gospel. It speaks into uh, the way we should live and think. Oh, Lord, let that be restored. And let us as a church rise up in the confidence of that. In Acts, uh, sorry, in uh, 
Acts chapter 3, verse 6, uh, 12 to 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and who you know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. And this was, of course, healing of the, of the, of the, uh, the cripple at the gate. Beautiful. As uh, Peter and John came and said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give to you. It's faith in the name of Jesus. And we proclaim that same gospel here this morning. Hallelujah. The third thing Osganes talked about was reclaiming compelling power. The gospel is a powerful gospel and it can only be influenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't just philosophise the Christian faith. The bottom line is you can't save a single person. We can't heal a single person. Everything that happens in the life of a church like this comes about because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we need to nurture that amongst us. We need to grow in the intimacy of that. I think I talked about that the last time I was here, about pursuing God and just the whole sense of, of challenging us to our own walk and living relationship with the Holy Spirit. I can't do that for you. What would this church look like and feel like if we all came here on Sunday mornings totally engaged with the Holy Spirit, with words that he'd been given us through the weeks, with uh, encouragement in our heart for somebody else, with that sense of anticipation of, God, what are you going to do in our midst and being available for him to work through us? You know, suddenly you elevate the church from the effectiveness of just a few to a group like this. What could we achieve? And not only then, here on Sundays, but as we leave this place in power, uh, missionaries to our first world, what does the church start to bring influence to? As you network in your world. So Paul said, uh, sorry, Peter said these words, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Why do you stare at us as, as if you think that it is by our power or godliness that we made this man walk? It is the presence of Christ in this church. It's by his power, the filling of the Holy Spirit, that this is possible. Why? Peter said, filled with the Holy Spirit, started to speak to them. Oh, I pray that upon you this morning again as a church, that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of our pastors and one person I know who's spoken in this church, Ian Miller, has just written a great book called Reclaiming, uh, Rediscovering, rather, the Supernatural. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it because it's a great testimony about what God can do as you awaken yourself to the compelling power that's been given to each of us. I'm speaking this word this morning over this church because I, I sense there's things that are budding here that are about to crack open. And you need to rise up in the certainty of what you believe in a gospel that you allow to be comprehensive and that will f affect every facet of life. But you can only do it through the compelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a word for you as well. Uh, I don't know your name. Ben? Um, I just encourage you to see the big picture. You know, there's much more going down than you realise is going down. 
and God's hands are fashioning and shaping things around your life in a way that you may not fully see because you're very focused and blinkered on the here and now. But I want, you to, I want to encourage you this morning that God sees the bigger picture and there's a power at work on your behalf and it wants to work through you and with you. Who's connecting with you? In Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15, it tells the story there about Abraham as he leaves Lot in the Jordan Valley, which was incredibly fertile and had the Jordan River and the, the richness of, the, of, the, of all that environment. And they, that should have been land, that should have been given to Abraham because it was the immediate, it was the best. But Abram let Lot choose first and Lot chose the best, what seemed the best. And then God took Abram right up to the mountaintop and he stood under the trees of Mamre, it says, and he said, as far as the east is from the west and the north and the south, that's what I'm giving you. Because you see, your, your vision is determined by your vista. Uh, and you, your vista will determine the volume of your vision. And until you if, you, if you allow yourself to sit in the valley, that's all you'll see. You'll be hemmed in. But God wants to, wants to give you capacity to rise to a height where you'll start to see things, the bigger picture. And, and don't settle for just, which may seem fertile and good now, because it is good. There are many good things that God has done, but there's so much more he wants to show you and lead you into. Here's some verses for you as well. I mentioned that one, Genesis 13, 14 to 15. Proverbs 29, 18. Um, without vision, people cast off restraint. But if there's more vision, it suggests that direction and, and formation will happen even more. Nehemiah 6, 8. It's the same verses I shared up, up there to Josh. Uh, Josh uh, nothing like what you're thinking is happening. You're just making it up in your head. So, you know, trust God. Delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. It says in Psalm 37, 4, the very desires that are in your heart have been placed there by God. It's not that he gives you what you want. He actually, the wants have been placed there by him. Sorry, what was that one? Psalm 37, 4. Psalm 85, verses 11 to 13 says, The Lord will give what is good. And will prepare the way for you and, and for your steps. It's a good word for you. Does it connect with things you may be facing or situations you're in? That's, that's encouraging to hear. Oh, sorry, I've forgotten your name already. Ben. ben. Let's, write, let's pray for Ben right now. And Lord, in Jesus' name, let the word this morning just impact Ben's life. And let him reclaim the power of God that can come into his life this morning. In Jesus' name. And let these words that I've shared this morning cause him to see the bigger picture. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Thank you Father. Yes. So the question is, what's next for you as a church? Uh, I want you to just step out into all the sense of what I feel God would want to speak, not only over you, but over us as a movement and over the church at large. Because it's time to not crimp and shrink back, but to step forward in a boldness that comes from the certainty of who Jesus is and the certainty of his word, the compelling power of the Holy Spirit that's working there, and to affect, therefore, comprehensively our culture and our world. Tim, I just want to share a word with you, and it's a great delight to see you. I just thought you were still on holidays in, in, in Greece. Huh? 
You know, there's a, what I saw as you walked in this morning, there's a, this word I, ha- I received earlier, and I didn't know who it was for, but I felt it was for you. There's been a slow soak going on where things have been deposited for a long time, but it's going to turn around to a sense of the breaking forth of great rivers. I want to give you some verses here. Um, Psalm 42 verse 7 talks about deep speaking to deep. There's things that are being deposited deeply within your spirit. But now there's going to come a season where things are going to be just come out. Okay, in John 4, 11, it says, Where can you get the living water from? It's the question asked of the woman at the well. She's asking the Lord, where can you get this from? And it's like you've been asking questions. Where can I get the living water from? And I just want to give you a word of confidence that it's going to just well up from within you. Because it's been put there. John seven thirty eight says, Rivers of living water will flow from within. Deuteronomy 11.11 says the land you're crossing over uh, the Jordan to to enter into will drink rain from heaven and will drink water. Uh, And it says in, sorry, this is the other verse, Proverbs 5.15, you will drink water from your own well. There's things that God has deposited in you that are going to bubble forth and as you cross over the Jordan, it says uh, you will drink rain in from heaven. So it's going to be this continual sense of more for you. Now I know you want that, and everyone in the room wants that, but I feel it's a real promise to you about the things that lie ahead. Lord, in Jesus' name, mm. Lord, as, uh, as they position themselves for what is ahead for them, Thank you, Lord. Lord, let there be just a great sense of that which has been deposited deep, turning into a well of living water that flows out from them, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that over this whole church, What's next for them, Lord? What would you want to do? Thank you, Father. I've got to show you this last cartoon. Damn, we're on the wrong ship. That's why the dinosaurs became extinct. It's got nothing to do with my sermon, but I put it in there. You see, the bottom line is God knows what's going down in church. The stuff that's happening in our world and the pressures that we're under in our, in our culture at the moment, God's not going, whoops, didn't see that one coming. It's all happening, as I said before, first in the spiritual, in the natural and then in the spiritual. Forces are at work in our culture that are actually bringing the church back to its greatest moment, to a great moment. And the relevancy of the church is not being lost, it's being rediscovered Amen. and it's being reestablished and reaffirmed. God knows what's going down. And we need to surrender to his will. It says many of the plans of the Lord of a man's heart, but it's God's purposes that are going to prevail. Hallelujah. And so now it's time to take action. Jesus went out proclaiming the good news, healing every disease and every sickness. We cannot help, the apostle said, but speak of what we've seen and heard. And now it's time to prepare your minds for action. Can we stand our feet together and let's just close off in prayer. Father, I just pray over this church in Jesus' name. Lord, that those things that, would, that have been working in our broader culture to intimidate us, that fear of man, I break its hold in Jesus' name. I break those things that cause us to shrink back. And let the fear of the Lord be the key to the treasure for this church. Let them rediscover certainty. Let them rediscover the comprehensive nature of your gospel. And may they operate in the compelling power of your Holy Spirit. 
And may the fear of man uh, just be lost in the awesome fear of the Lord and the grandeur of who you are. And may we not be intimidated. May we not uh, just be caused to go silent, but instead, Lord, let the finest moment of this church come to the fore. Not just this church, but the church. Lord, we want to be culturally relevant. It's not that we want to be hitting people over the head with the gospel. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are talking about is a, a sense, a profound sense in our hearts where we know that we know the truth and that the truth can set people free. And let us, Lord, with that certainty, proclaim your gospel into all the arenas of our lives this week as we go into a whole range of work situations, a whole range of places. May we go as missionaries to our first world. And Lord, with compelling power, do those things that only you can. And Lord, we make ourselves available to be used by you afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.